Hello, and welcome to Introducing Me. I'm your host, Sarah. I started this podcast to get to know other people and lifestyles while discovering more about myself. Each episode, I'll give a new guest a chance to discuss their background, culture, interests, or whatever they want to talk about to help increase all of our own worldviews. Today, I would like to introduce you to Mari Reesberg. She is a therapist, performer, and podcast host. From being a trapeze artist to getting a BFA and MA, she strives to help people reclaim their creativity. So I'm really excited to have Mari here today to share more about her life and things she's got going on. So thank you so much, Mari. Why don't you go ahead and tell the audience a little bit more about yourself? Thank you so much, Sarah, for inviting me and having me on today. I'm excited to chat with you about creativity and all the things. Yeah. So my creative journey started at the ripe old age of three when I was sent to trapeze school because I was a rowdy three-year-old and my mom wanted me out of the house. So I started performing professionally at the age of three and was bit by the performing bug and have continued doing that throughout the rest of my life. However, my understanding of creativity has changed over the years from it being only about performing to now it being about transforming life and being a way of living your life. So creativity isn't just something that certain people do. It's something we all do every day. And I love sharing that with people. And I'm also a creativity coach. So I help people transform their lives with creativity, as well as being a licensed therapist. I also host the Sustaining Creativity podcast. And I interview people from around the world about their experience of creativity. Uh, If you haven't guessed, I love talking to people because that's a lot of what I do with being a therapist, a coach, and a podcast host. Um, I currently live outside of Denver, Colorado, and have the beautiful mountains in my backyard, which is amazing. It is definitely a source of creativity for me to get out in nature and explore the world. Um, Yeah, so creativity is literally everything I do in my life. And I think when performing was the be all end all of childhood, high school, college, I do have a BFA in acting. I really thought that creativity was just for performance. And it wasn't until after I got my master's in somatic counseling psychology that I started putting pieces together around how creativity shows up in everyday life. And creativity really actually is more about the mundane tasks that we do and less about the performing that some people choose to do while other people don't. So you started performing at such a young age and, you know, continued it throughout high school and whatnot. And it sounds like, you know, the shift kind of happened in that master's degree. So were Mm -hmm. you originally thinking of being a full-time performer? Oh, yes. And I have been at many times in my life a full-time performer. I used to sing with an Irish band when I lived in New York City while also being a nanny and working at a restaurant. It's kind of the quintessential performer lifestyle. And that was my path 
for a very long time. And while living in New York City, I kept having people tell me their life story very randomly. I say randomly with some air quotes. Um, It felt maybe a little more destiny than random, but I could be at a bar, I could be at a diner, I could be in a cab, I could be at a nail salon, and someone was sharing their life story with me, and I thought, hmm, I should get paid for this. I should look into that too. And I, I knew that I didn't want to be just a, a regular talk therapist. I knew there was more, and so I was introduced to the creative arts therapies, and while drama therapy is part of the creative arts therapies, I felt like dance movement therapy spoke to me more. Movement has always been a huge part of my life. And it is something that I feel has transformed my own experience of who I am, my identity, my physical body, my relationship to my body. And that felt like something I wanted to learn more about and explore how to support other people in bridging the gap between the body and the mind. And so that was kind of my introduction to creative arts therapies. And then heading into my master's degree, I went to Naropa University, which is a tiny Buddhist inspired university in Boulder, Colorado. So all of my classes were taught sitting on meditation cushions and (laughs) very experiential therapies, which was a very unique way to get a master's degree and something I don't think many people have the opportunity to really immerse themselves in that. You know, I had a meditation class for three years. I was also doing, you know, dance and movement and really learning what the difference is in how do we use the body as a tool for change and how does creativity show up in that. But it really wasn't until I graduated and started putting the pieces together from my undergrad degree and my master's degree, like, oh, I would have really benefited from some of these therapeutic skills when I was getting my acting degree (laughs) and how to understand emotions, how to use that information, how to navigate rejection, how to put yourself out there and not take things personally. Oh my goodness, that would have helped so much. (laughs) And so can you talk a little bit kind of about this creative arts therapy? You specifically mentioned dance, like what is that like if like a client's coming to you as their therapist? Like what are, what is a session like? I think when people hear therapy, they think sitting on a couch and talking. Right. Laying on a couch, not looking. It's not analysis, which is kind of the image that people have from television and film. Dance movement therapy, if you think breathing is moving, you are moving your body with your breath. So it's actually a lot about awareness of your physical body. What are the sensations you're experiencing? What are the small cues that your body is giving you that your mind isn't really paying attention to, but our body is constantly firing off signs, whether it like little bells of pay attention to me or a warning sign or a red flag. Um, I think many people have experienced a 
a gut feeling or if you you meet someone and you have a sense about them that's a sensation a physical sensation so a therapy session might look like paying attention to those internal body cues but also if you see a video of me i use my hands a lot <laughs> and so paying attention to the movements that clients are participating in in a session i might ask them to exaggerate something or i might ask them to localize something if they're using a lot of body movement how what would that emotion look like if we just put it in your hand um, and kind of exploring things that way um, but oftentimes a lot of it is talking and a lot of it is more feeling into an experience versus creating an experience um, there's also opportunity to have those created experiences of how does this emotion want to be expressed through your body not just through your words because oftentimes we don't have the words to explain something explain how we feel but we can show you how our body will move from that internal emotional experience awesome and so then why did you decide to go and get this master's program and start down the path of therapy rather than full-time performing? I think a big piece is I, I love helping people and I love talking to people and people's stories fascinate me. And I, I love supporting people to transform their life and that was something that I, even in college, you know, I was the person that people would talk to when they had problems or when they had issues. And so it, it was a very natural experience for me. And it made a lot of sense in my mind that I would be a therapist and, but not necessarily a traditional therapist, having that creative background, I knew I wanted to have more creative opportunities in a therapeutic experience and session. So I think the impetus to really dive into somatic psychology was to really figure out how to safely, effectively support people going through major transitions in their life. And therapy for myself has always been a part of my life. I've always been in therapy. It's always been something that was regularly supported. And it for sure helped me get through my undergraduate degree in acting school. It was a very stressful time. Now, are you still performing at all? I do. Every once in a while, I get back on stage. The last time was in summer of 2022 i was in a production of mama mia which was so much fun but prior to that i hadn't been on stage in eight years so every once in a while i do get back on stage <laughs> and it's the it's the most fun i i love to have the opportunity to get back on stage and i love when that opportunity is done and I go back to the other things in my life that I love to do. 
Yeah. So with a like an eight year break, what kind of pushed you to, you know, even auditioning for Mamma Mia? Yeah. So the eight year break, I really had decided I wanted to support performers in more of a creative coaching capacity than being that performer on stage. Don't get me wrong. I love an audience. I love to be on stage. I could talk to anyone anywhere and perform until I'm, you know, gray and done with the world. However, I, I really wanted to give other performers all of these skills and tools that I found so helpful in my own journey as a performer and as a therapist. And so I created this program called Sustaining Creativity to support performers in that audition process and in that experience of performing, of how to really create a foundation of safety and trust within themselves to take creative risk from and then have that foundation to come back to when the performance, the rehearsal, the class was over. So you could reintegrate into your life to pick up kids, do laundry, wait tables, cook dinner, you know, all the kind of more mundane tasks that can be pretty challenging if we're always highly emotionally activated from performance. So the eight year break was me creating that. And, and then the, I wasn't even, I didn't even know the production was happening. I got a message on Facebook from a friend saying, Hey, do you want to audition for this? And I was like, Oh, okay, sure. It's been a while, but why not? <laughs> oh gosh. Well, it's good to hear, you know, how you honed in on like something that you really wanted to start and, and make a career out of, but were then mm -hmm. also able to find a way to enjoy performing, you know, here and there. But I'm curious to know because your mom put you in trapeze school because you were rowdy and it stuck with, you know, something you did for quite, quite some time. So did it work? And, you know, how did you end up, you know, going to trapeze school at three years old sounds a little odd. Yeah, it, it is. It is a very unique experience. However, I lived two and a half blocks from a trapeze school, so that may have made it a little <laughs> bit easier. And I grew up in the Pacific Northwest where things you just did were a little bit different. Like when it rained 40 plus days in a row, you just did everything outside no matter what. You had a lot of rain gear and you still went on hikes and you still did all the things outside. So going to trapeze school was very normal in my, my childhood and my existence and experience. And I think the trapeze school that I went to was also a physical theater school. So, and not only was I learning trapeze, I was also learning physical theater expression and I was a part of their children's performing troupe. And so we created a bunch of shows. We wrote our scripts. We choreographed all of our, you know, performances and, and had the opportunity to really experience all sides of a theatrical experience. And that 
was incredible to be given that agency to try new things, to be a leader, be a follower, be someone who creates a performance piece, someone who is directed by a peer in a performance piece. And I think all of those skills that I learned being a part of this school, this performing school, really set me up quite well (laughs) for the rest of my life and gave me the opportunity to be willing to take creative risk in my life and try things. Now, like, don't get me wrong. I get afraid all the time. And this isn't like, oh, she has no fear. She's trying new things all the time. Definitely not. Fear and anxiety and imposter syndrome absolutely show up in my life. And I have a lot of skills and tools to navigate them and work through them and not take things personally when something fails and get, you know, be open to feedback and be willing to rethink things probably after I get really defensive and have a little, you know, tantrum about it. I then can take a moment and say like, oh, okay. What that person said wasn't about who I am. They were giving me feedback on something I asked them to give me feedback on. And I have a lot of opinions and a lot of emotions about what the feedback they gave me. And it doesn't mean that they don't like me, that I'm not a good performer or coach or therapist. And so I think all of the things from trapeze school at three definitely set me up for the rest of my life. And so it set you up with these good foundations, good, you know, mindset, ways of managing with, with different things. But you mentioned fear. Was there ever fear in any of your performing of like getting on stage or being in front of an audience? I think the fear came later. (laughs) I think as a kid, pretty fearless performing. I would put on a show. If there was someone at the house, a show was going to be shared. Didn't matter if they really wanted to see it or not. And so I think the, the fear or the anxiety or the questioning of, is this good came so much later, maybe high school than in childhood, early childhood. Cause I think I had so many people in my life really supporting me to try things, try pretty outlandish things. And, uh, parents who would spend the 25 minutes watching me recreate something I had seen somewhere and direct my friends and my brother in a production or, you know, trying any musical instrument that my father brought home. He was a music teacher for years and would bring home tons of musical instruments and me not knowing how to play it, but would put on a show with the musical instrument. Um, So there was a lot of encouragement to try things and make it your own. And I think the fear and the judgment of other people and also self-judgment definitely came as I got older and had more 
feedback from people that may not have been as positive as I got in early childhood. I have a distinct memory in high school of I early on in high school would wear some pretty fun outlandish outfits of stripes and polka dots and leggings and skirts and things. And it was the nineties. So it was, (laughs) there was a lot of creative expression happening in clothing, but I very distinctly remember a group of girls in high school telling me that it was time to recycle my clothes. And that was something that totally rocked me. And it really shifted how I showed up. I wasn't really supported by my peers to be the unique, expressive individual that I had been until that point. And I took that feedback as, oh, I have to conform. I have to be like everyone else. I can't be the unique, expressive person. How do I fit the mold that other people don't make fun of, that other people aren't going to criticize or, you know, other me with. So I think that's when the fear started to show up. Ah, yes. High school. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) So then as you're kind of working, you know, this program you created, the sustaining creativity, are you working mostly with people who are showcasing creative endeavors? Are you also trying to focus in on the population who maybe doesn't see themselves as creative? And in addition to that, are you, you know, kind of helping people like you were at as a high schooler? Or is it like, are you geared more towards an older audience? Yes, to all of it. (laughs) Um, I, I do work with people who identify as performers or creatives. I work with people who identify as former creatives. So maybe they went to acting school and now they do something completely different. Um, I work with a lot of college students because I do presentations for universities in their dance and theater departments around the country. And, And I love all of it. I also love working with people who don't feel like they're creative and they really want to spark creativity in their life or claim creativity as an identity or as an aspect of who they are. That I think is such a fun time to really work with people when they're, when they really want to explore creativity in this new fashion. And, and then I also love working with people who really are feeling like something is missing and it is that creativity, that creative piece that was such a large part of their identity that they set aside oftentimes to have children, get married, have a career in a different career place than performing arts. And so, yeah, I, I work with everyone across across the spectrum of people who think they're creative, people who don't think they're creative, people who want to be creative, because I see creativity as something that is for everyone. Creativity is a skill that can be learned. It is not a gene 
that some people have and other people don't. It's something we all have the capacity to tap into. And the more we use creativity, the more creativity we have. So then can you share a little bit about how you work with people who either want creativity in their life or just like don't think they're creative at all? Like, what does that look like? Yeah, so I often will start with talking about what they loved to do as a kid. What were the hobbies they had? What were the fun things? Were they someone who read a lot? Would they draw? Would they have fantasy worlds? Did they have imaginary friends? Did they play pretend? You know, what kind of play were they participating in in childhood? What are the things that they wish they had in adulthood? And then how do we bridge those gaps? And there are many other layers of having a foundation of safety is super important. Without safety, we typically don't take risks or typically don't engage in something outside of our comfort zone. So by creating a foundation of safety, not only in physical space, but in our mind, with our time, and then in other environments that we participate in, it actually helps set you up for more success in reclaiming or discovering creativity in your life. And I have a lot of conversations with people around like, well, why did you choose to wear the outfit that you wore today? And sometimes people will say like, well, it's just so comfortable. I'm like, yeah, that is a creative choice. You woke up today and you thought, I need to feel comfortable. This is what I'm going to wear. So it's an active choice of looking at the things that you do in everyday life as a creative event or creative expression or creative experience. And so then what are some sort of like outcomes that people get working with you in this creative field? I mean, everything from a new job to getting back on stage to feeling and having more joy in their life, decreasing stress, better management of anxiety and depression, um, less stress. I think it kind of runs the gamut. Um, creativity, I like to say, is not a luxury. It's a key ingredient to your well-being and how you engage with it is important. So how are you looking at creativity in your life and what do you want more of in your life? Do you want more time to play with your kids? Do you want more joy? Do you want less stress? Do you want more opportunities to share your creative ideas? Um, I also have clients who have, you know, I guess climbed the ladder for lack of a better phrase in, in their field that they're currently in, um, and supported them to have a different way of managing the people on their team um, to foster more creativity in the industry that they're in, to make going to work a little more fun. 
and not feel as dreadful as it may have felt in their life previously. Then how do you currently engage in your in creativity in your day to day life? I mean, from how I get dressed in the morning to what how I put food on a plate to playing with my cat to editing podcast episodes to listening to music and having mini dance parties in my office when I get super stressed out from something that has happened um, to getting outside or if I can't get outside I will stick my fingers in my plants to give myself some some nature and feel a little more connected and I, I see that as being creative it's a unique different way to reconnect with nature if I can't get outside or if it's snowing or raining or something and I don't want to brave the elements. Um, but how I clean my house is a creative experience. How I communicate with my partner, have relationship. You know, sometimes I, I like to call it Zen driving. I'm like, I'm going to take a different way to get to the grocery store today. So really looking at all aspects of life as an opportunity to have a creative moment. And these aren't big, like I'm setting aside an hour and a half and this must be creative. No, I'm like getting dressed in the morning. It takes under five minutes, but I have a moment of checking in with myself and okay, how do I want to feel today? Or how do I feel today? I feel like this morning I felt a little sassy so I wanted to wear something that helped express that in, and it may not make sense to anyone else. And that's fine. It doesn't need to. This is about my creative experience and filling my creativity cup so that I can then work with other people on creativity or put something out on social media so I need to keep my creativity cup full so I can output creativity into the world. And then do you have moments where your creativity cup is a bit lacking? hundred percent. Yes. Oh yes. Yeah. And, and those are the times where I'm like, you know what? I'm going to just be inspired by other, other people's creativity. So that might mean going to an art museum or watching a movie or scrolling through TikTok or Instagram or listening to a record or reading a book. What are the things that I know inspire me or help fuel me that I don't have to really share with anyone else? It's like just for me. But yeah, for sure there are days where I'm like, I do not feel creative at all. And that's okay. So how do I allow creativity to ebb and flow? And, and I know some pretty quick ways to reactivate or reconnect with my creativity, like the 30 second one minute dance party to a favorite song in my office. So. Now you kind of chose this career path out of, you know, studying at school, learning more, wanting to help others in creativity. Are you still studying and like learning 
new techniques or theories as you continue to grow? Absolutely. I am a forever student, I like to say. I'm always learning something new and always being inspired by other people who have new creative ideas. I mean, I recently was introduced to, um, oh, now it has totally escaped me. It's um, like meeting doodling, like professional doodling, where someone doodles your meeting at your office. Uh, That was something that was very new to me. And so learning more about that and what goes into it, but also just finding more ways to be creative or supporting other people to be creative, I think is incredibly important and creative at the same time, but I love to learn. And so I'm constantly immersing myself in events or things that are offering a creative experience or creative curiosity or challenging myself to find creativity in seemingly non-creative spaces. So do you consume a lot of creative arts? I do. I do. Like later this evening, I'm going to the theater. (laughs) Um, But I, I do consume a lot of creative arts, whether it's Um, with whether it's music or dance or photography or art museums or history or um, yeah or consuming it and also participating in it you know if paint if I'm interested in painting or interested in drawing not that I have like formal training in it and it's something I enjoy doing. And so giving myself permission to, to suck at it and be a beginner, I think is super important. You know, find something that you are okay being a beginner at because it will help transform other things in your life. And that speaks to me, someone who's willing to, to suck at something, then then you can do anything. So find something you're willing to suck at. (laughs) There you go. Now you mentioned that your dad was a music teacher. So Mm -hmm. is everyone in your life creative in some way? Well, if we think of everyone as being creative, Mm -hmm. yes. And not everyone is in the performing arts. (laughs) So my brother is an electrician not necessarily what some people would call creative and he for sure has uses a lot of creativity in being an electrician. If you think of creativity as solving problems or, you know, managing people, communicating with others. Um, But I have a lot of kind of former creatives in my immediate family. And the performing arts have always been supported and encouraged in my immediate family as well. Right. And I like how, you know, you do share that fact that creativity can be 
and is beyond just that, you know, performing nature, what people may think of when they typically Mm -hmm. think of the word creative. So it's important to make that distinction of, yes, everyone's creative and like there's, there's different ways that it shows through. Absolutely. And not everyone wants to be the performing creative. There are some people who their version of creativity is color coding their planner or their to-do list or their spreadsheet or how they, you know, navigate transporting children to after-school activities. (laughs) Like that's, for some people, that is a creative experience because there are so many moving pieces and they're connecting dots and flexibility is always a factor. And do you have snacks and do you need snacks? And did you forget something, some sporting event thing, equipment, you know, so there, there's no one way to be creative. And that is something I love about creativity that everyone's experience of it is different and unique to them. And everyone has the capacity to experience creativity in their life, whether they think they're creative or not. Yes, you have definitely made that, you know, kind of come through and everything you've shared and with your personal experiences. Now, I want to give you a chance here at the end to share anything else that you would like, whether it's about your work, what you've got going on, or you personally advice, just kind of an open floor for you to to share whatever you would like with the listeners today. Well, thank you for the open floor. I mean, if anyone out there listening is interested in exploring creativity or learning more about it, you can go to my website and connect with me there, sustainingcreativity.com, or check out my podcast where I talk to people from around the world about creativity. You can find that on any platform where you listen to podcasts and we're in three and a half years in so far. So you've got over 200 episodes you can (laughs) sift through and find some creative person that is inspiring or interesting to you. But I, I would love to really remind people that you are creative. Creativity is a skill we can learn it, we can use it, we can engage with it in so many different ways. It's not just one way of being creative in this world. And that I think is the beauty of creativity. And yeah, I mean, creativity is life. It is about being a full human being and expressing yourself however you choose to do that. Great. Well, of course, I will be making sure to leave your website in the description of this episode so people can definitely connect with you. And I think those last pieces you said are really important for people to hear, you know, about their own creativity. Now, at the end of all my episodes, I do ask my guests a random question that doesn't have to do with what we've been talking about. (laughs) So my question for you is... What is your favorite card game? 
Oh, my favorite card game. Oh my gosh. I love this question. Um, I literally have so many cards has always been a very big thing in my life from being a kid to being an adult. Um, there was a card game I played as a child called Mealborn, and it was like a card driving game where you could give someone a flat tire with a card or an accident or a red light or a, it was so much fun. And I, I feel like it is potentially a, a French game. Like it's from France, but it, because I remember like all of the cards being in French, um, it was so much fun. So that is a very fond memory of playing games, but also I learned in fourth grade how to play canasta and not many nine-year-olds are doing that. So I had a robust experience of playing canasta with my grandmother and all of her elder friends. <laughs> so I, I do love a good card game. All right, that brings this episode to a close. As I mentioned, I will be leaving Mari's website in the description along with her social medias. So she is on Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn. If you want to go follow any of those pages and connect with her, of course, she would appreciate that support. And if you would like to connect with the podcast, we always appreciate that support as well. And we are on those same social medias. So Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn. And all of our links can be found on our website, which is always in the description. Our website, of course, also brings you to all of our past episodes, past guest resources, and guest social media, and all of those good things. So feel free to check that out. If you would like to be a guest on the show, my email is in the description. That is always the best way to connect with me directly. And if you would like to support the podcast monetarily, there is a link to do that as well. So thank you so much, Mari, for spending time with me today and to my listeners for taking the time out of your day to hear a new story. Until next time. Bye. Thanks so much, Sarah. Have a great evening.